Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. I'm Ben, if you're new around here, I'm the lead pastor, and I'm starting a new series this week. It's going to be a little different uh, than the ones we've been in the last uh, eight weeks or so, where we focus heavily on very practical issues of love, dating, marriage, and their work life. We're going to look at a spiritual principle that really can affect everything in our life. It's going to be one of those power principles as we look at one verse in the Bible for three weeks. Uh, Now, I'm going to be looking at a different part of it and unpacking it in this series called A Hope in a Future. Because I've talked to too many people and they're at these moments where they're thinking about their future or people who feel like they've lost hope or people who are just going crazy around this election season. And I think God really has something to say to us. But it's how we handle these pivotal moments. Uh, Now, the thing about a pivotal moment is you usually don't know you're in one when you're in it. It takes a little bit of uh, reflection. You can think of pivotal moments uh, in your life, maybe when you uh, decide to go to college and where you go to college. Big decision. Uh, Your first job, uh, who you're going to date, your your first kiss. I remember my very first kiss. uh, Well, actually, it wasn't my first kiss. My first kiss was in second grade, but it was against my will, this aggressive little girl. And uh, (laughs) I'm still a little traumatized from the experience. But uh, it it was after that uh, high school and it was my first real kiss, and, and uh, we were, uh, I was dropping off this girl, parked in front of her house. She leans towards me, because let's face it, who could resist me? And she, uh, uh, so we're ready for the kiss, and we're there, and all of a sudden, as we kiss, like these bright lights come on us. And my friends were parked on the uh, other side of the street, and the spotlights were shining on us. I will never forget that moment, although it was a little traumatic. Hopefully, as you look at some moments for your life, uh, you'll look at the good and the bad, the times where you succeeded, the times where you've gone through a crisis, or maybe even going through one right now, and you'll see where God can be part of that, and how uh, not just in a way to give you comfort, that's important, but real hope in a real direction towards your future. So uh, I want to look at our uh, first verse uh, together, if we can do that, if we can get that on the back screen, that'd be awesome. Uh, It says, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. See, to understand uh, this verse, you really need to understand the context uh, in it. Uh, Jeremiah, the guy who wrote this, he was known as a weeping prophet. He was like the Debbie Downer of prophets. And uh, he, he was often really depressed as he saw things that were out there. Now, uh, as he wrote this, before he wrote this in chapter 28 of Jeremiah, there was a guy named Hananiah who was really deceiving people. Uh, the nation of Israel had uh, lost in battle and they were taken to Babylon. Things weren't going very well. And Hananiah said, hey, everything's going to be okay. Uh, you're, it's not going to be, you're not going to have to do anything difficult. Life will just get better. And Jeremiah saw it as a false promise. 
See, I've seen so many people. I know people who have been turned off from God, and really, it's, you never even believed in God. You believed in a false promise about God instead of the real God. And that's what Jeremiah was uh, concerned about. And so he says, no, there's going to be a season of difficulty that you're going to walk through. And that's real. But this, this season will only be a season. And then he caps it off uh, with Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, where he says, I know uh, the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And he's saying, this is what you can look towards and to in your life. Now, as we think about the pivotal moment that they were going through, we can think about pivotal moments in our own lives. Uh, and really the type of pivotal moments that shape us. Uh, the first type, and if you're filling in the blanks, is significant decisions. I've talked to so many people who are making significant decisions uh, about their future right now. In fact, one of my daughters, uh, she's filling out college applications right now. And uh, the only thing that's disturbing is she has decided not to apply to my alma mater, the University of Washington. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where I went wrong as a parent, uh, but uh, she, uh, I'm like, honey, come on, you and daddy, we're going to make this decision where you're going to go to college. And we, we have these significant decisions. What about the election? Some of you are going crazy. How many of you have friends who've gone crazy on Facebook? Yeah, yeah, everyone. So, yeah, people are, are like that. And you're like, if Hillary doesn't get elected, it's going to be horrible. Or if Hillary gets elected, it'll be horrible. If Donald doesn't get elected, it'll be horrible. Or if he gets elected, it'll be horrible. And for those of you who are just looking, what is your pastor? I agree with all of you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so uh, I'm for you. Uh, but, but here's the thing is, uh, by the way, in particular, people and some Christians... They approach this in a way that's not only unhealthy, it's radically unbiblical. The sense of that, you know, some election here is going to determine everything. It's important for our future. I vote. I've already voted. I hope uh, you vote at least a couple times. I mean, it'll be awesome. <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> uh, no, they only do that. Chicago, they, you can do that, but not here. So, uh, <laughs> but, but as we move forward, you just have to understand, God always works in ways that you could never, uh, never see. So don't go crazy no matter what happens Tuesday. You know, let me give you a little history lesson. So uh, around 1,500 years ago, when communism came uh, to play, I mean, you have to understand the mindset of people in general and some people who are Christ followers as well. The idea was about a third to a half of the world was cut off from Christianity. Officially atheistic, anti-Christian, killed a bunch of priests and pastors. And they said, well, you know, Soviet Union and all the countries it influences, Central Europe and, and beyond, and China and all the countries it influenced, that there's, there's never going to be any hope of Jesus really doing anything there, but at least we have Western Europe, and Western Europe is going to be this great bastion of Christianity. What happened? What's happening today? Millions and millions of people in what was the Soviet Union, Central Europe. Some Christianity is spreading way faster there than it is here. I mean, by uh, exponential rates. And in China, what happened when the, when the communist government took, there was only a few million Christians on the coast, and they said, hey, we're going to take these people, and uh, we don't want them to all gather together. We're going to disperse them throughout the country. 
And by most estimates, people would say there's definitely more evangelical Christians in China than the United States of America and Canada combined today. There's uh, people in mean house churches and all of that because God was always moving behind the scenes. And so if you're going crazy, just know I won't go crazy with you. I didn't with Y2K, I wouldn't do it then. You know, I, although I did buy a shotgun. Because uh, <laughs> I, yeah, but I didn't store food. I just figured I'd take yours. So the, uh, <laughs> I'm, you got to understand, I just haven't been a Christian that long. You know, just been, you know, God's still working on me. Uh, I shouldn't have said that out loud. So the, uh, 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 fatalism is antithetical to a belief in Jesus Christ. It's not just, oh, I'm just that way. It, uh, hey, you show, what happened is that your God's too small. You show me how big your God is, and I'll show you how big your hope is. If you say, well, I don't really believe in God, might well, I'll tell you what, there'll come a point where you're going to lose hope, and because if you're your own God, you can be your own God. It's just not going to work out eventually because there's something in us that senses that there's more. And then there's an uncertain future. Uh, you know, if we're uncertain about our future, I've talked to people whose jobs have been eliminated. Uh, there's all sorts of issues that they're going through. And that's a, a pivotal moment for us. And then there's difficult circumstances. You, you know, the kind, I'm not talking about when you get a flat tire. I'm talking about the kind when you get the, the note from your spouse that says there's someone else and it's not you. When a, a, a loved one's mental illness has taxed you to the point like you feel like you can't take it anymore. I'm talking about those kind of moments that are pivotal in our life. And then there's unexpected opportunities. And this is where I want to focus on because I think there's so many opportunities for us. Now, if you're here and you say, hey, I'm not even really a Christian, I just want to let you know, one, you're welcome here. And, uh, and we really want you to understand, this is going to be a look behind the curtain. If you say, I wonder what those Christians really believe. I'm going to show you uh, that a little bit today. And, and as we look at unexpected opportunities, these are these God moments. And when you're in a God moment, the question is, is I'm, am I going to step away from it or am I going to step into this God moment? I'm going to look at one chapter of the Bible, actually half a chapter, uh, uh, in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at one of these God moments and see how it intersects with our own lives. So let me give you a little context of this. Uh, the Christianity had spread. A lot of people turned into Jesus. People didn't like it. There was some persecution. Uh, there, in fact, right before this in chapter 7, uh, there was a guy named Stephen, a great good guy helping all sorts of people. Uh, religious leaders didn't like it. And so Stephen was stoned. And then they, but in Seattle, I always have to explain, stoned is like being killed with rocks. It's not, uh, okay, it's, <laughs> What's the matter with you people? So it's, you know, it's, yeah, the bad kind. Not that the other kind is a good kind. It's the bad kind. Uh, anyway, I, I, I give up. So the, uh, gosh, go past from Mississippi. No, the, uh, uh, so here's what it says. In the context of this, uh, when we read the story of this guy named Philip, it says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. 
And, and we see this, and we follow the story of one person in particular. And have you ever seen someone's story that can just be inspirational to you? And, and for me, Philip is one of those guys. Because, you know, we, think, we read the pages of the Bible, and people were actually, like, literally being killed. I was, I was talking to someone uh, from uh, just right before the service, and I've talked to people who are from countries. We have people who attend our church who are on uh, refugee status, because of religious persecution. There's over, I mean, that I know, there are over 40 some different countries off the top of my head of people who are actively, who attend just this campus alone. And uh, that is that kind of persecution that's happening. So Philip has, he has a decision. What's he gonna do in that? Who's he gonna be in that moment? Have you ever had one of those, who are you gonna be in that moment? Who are you gonna be when, uh, well, Let's say maybe you've gone through uh, a difficult divorce. Maybe it wasn't your fault. I mean, it's usually sort of both our faults when that happened, but maybe it was mostly the other person's fault. And you have to say, okay, who am I going to be in this moment? Am I going to reset my faith, my morality, everything I believe? Or who am I going to be when things get difficult? Well, here's what we see about Philip is that, and this is what we learn how to step into a God moment, is to decide in advance to say yes to God. If you've been around Timberlake any period of time, you know that one of the things we say is say yes to God before you know the question. And that sounds, I, I understand that sounds silly. But this is it, because if you have to, if, if you understand what God's asking of you, and then you're gonna evaluate it, you have a real small God. But if God is God and he knows best for our lives, then I'm gonna say, okay, I'm gonna say yes to you even when I don't uh, understand it. If I know it's from you, I'm going to say yes to you. And so that's what happens with Philip. We read, uh, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go, uh, go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he made, met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Kandiki, the queen of the Ethiopians. Now, uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, context in this, it's not gonna be a total history lesson today. So when they talk about Ethiopia, not just in the Bible, but in the ancient world, uh, the Greeks and the Romans, anything south of Egypt would be Ethiopia. That's what they, uh, they called it, so that area. Now, history helps us out here. There's actually, because of the timing and, and what the Bible talks about, we know pretty clearly uh, who this person was is that he was actually from what was called the Nubian Kingdom. It would be southern Sudan uh, today, around that region. Uh, it was probably one of the wealthiest uh, places, if not the wealthiest in all of Africa. And you can tell by what they traded. They traded in jewelry and gold and spices and linens. So this is a guy in charge of the money in the wealthiest kingdom in Africa. And so now it's interesting, uh, Philip is going to approach him, and I'm going to talk about this in a moment, uh, even though they're of radically different uh, social statuses. It says, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit of, uh, told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. So there's a lot to this story and to unlock here. And, and just, uh, I want to talk about the man in particular. So he was a, a eunuch, and uh, we don't, you know, that's, that's not uh, 
part of our culture today uh, in general. But eunuchs were people who had been physically altered. They were men who had been physically altered. Uh, so they would serve in the court of the king or the queen. And so the idea was there would be no hanky-panky with the queen. And so uh, they were usually in late elementary, early teens, they would take this group of select people uh, who, you know, hey, the good news is you get a real important job. The bad news is, well, the bad news. And so, uh, so you can Google eunuch, or actually, you probably shouldn't Google eunuch. That would be, uh, so, so uh, it's, I hope you're smart enough to figure it out. This is uncomfortable enough for me as it is. So the, uh, uh, I can tell you the process by which it happened, you know. Yeah, big rocks, lots of pain. Anyway, it was horrible. So, uh, but he, he becomes a, uh, a eunuch, and you could tell physically that he would be a eunuch. This is going to be important for later on in the story. Because uh, at the time they became eunuchs, uh, they'd be physically altered. Uh, secondary male characteristics would not develop. There'd be no deepening of the voice. There'd be no facial hair, all of that. So you could tell physically if someone was a eunuch. And so uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about that in a moment and why it's important. But we see another principle of stepping into a God moment, and that's to take a spiritual risk, that, uh, that, that we take a spiritual risk. You know, usually we think, oh, we're into extreme everything in our, in our country. And the truth is, is that I think uh, that there's an idol in American society, and it's manic safety. It really is. I mean, you think about this. Someone wrote this. We're the most seat-belted, air-begged, peanut-avoided, bike-helmeted, password-protected, gluten-free, hyper-insured, knee-pad-wearing, massively-medicated generation in history. True? Yeah. I mean, we're like, uh, hey, this will tell you, you want to see who the old people are here today? How many of you remember when you didn't have to wear a seatbelt? Yeah. Okay, now, now this is, you'll get a real, okay, how many remember those big American cars with the back window? How many of you ever rode in the back when your parents were driving? Yeah, and you're all here, you survived. I'm not saying we should go back to it. Uh, but the truth is, is that there's an idol of avoiding risk. We think we're risky, but the truth is we're, we're not even close to it. We're, we're one of the most fearful generations ever. And no matter how much risk you try to avoid in life, that, uh, that you can always, there's always a freak accident that could happen. And in fact, I Googled uh, freak accidents. Uh, here's what I came up with. In London in 18, uh, October 17, 1814, at the turn of the century, a giant vat of beer exploded and eight people drowned in a wall of beer. <laughs> and some of you are going, well, if I gotta go. The, uh, <laughs> So here's another one, true story. In 1910, a giant bat of molasses exploded and a wall of hot molasses killed 21 people. Yeah, that 21 evidently very slow people. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. What a, molasses, walk for your lives. You know, the, so I... I Okay, I'll go back to the notes. So the, uh, when I read these, I don't get the nasty emails. <laughs> Here's the truth. Most people, and most Christians, we, we play it safe because our God is pretty small. And we don't risk. Hey, I, I, I'm not going to uh, risk uh, 
I'm not going to risk serving because, because you know, I, I don't know. People will know about me and they'll know the things I've done in the past. And somehow, uh, you know, I'm just afraid. And we let fear make our decision. Uh, I'm afraid to share my faith because people are going to think I'm one of those weird religious freaks and all of that. And, or I'm afraid, uh, you know, to maybe give financially. Oh, I don't want to do that. That's, you know, crazy. Because really, we just don't believe that God's going to be our provider. We, and, and we let fear make our decisions. I can be a little bit of a fearaholic, to be honest with you. Uh, but I've just determined that I'm not going to let fear make my decisions in life. Because then you live a real small life. I think about it as, as a church. You know, some of the things we've gone through in the last number of years. Uh, like I said, many of you are newer here. Uh, there was a time not, not too long ago when there was only one service in about these two sections, but with a few less people. And I remember when we went to two services, people were like, this is crazy. You know, why are we doing this kind of thing? And it was just, you know, we believe God was calling us to do that. We're going to take a spiritual risk. When we started our, our, our orphanage in Haiti, the church didn't have like a bunch of money we didn't know what to do with. We just believed that if we needed to make an impact not only here but around the world, and there's about 80 kids in Haiti who we've been supporting, we're the only supporter, uh, for, for about five years because we took the risk. When Acres of Diamonds, the transitional housing for homeless women and kids, when they weren't going to be a viable organization anymore and, and uh, there was that need, we said, okay, we're going to take that risk. By the way, now we're expanding. It's going to be over twice the size it was before. Every time we take a God-honoring risk, we see God show up. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've taken a spiritual risk? Like when, something that will impact your life, your faith, your eternity. Have you ever taken one? And this is not to make you feel guilty. I, we're not into that. But, but I'm just saying, are you missing out on the opportunity that God has for you? Because in reality, you've justified it to the point but that fear is making your decision along the way. See, you know how faith is built? Faith is built by taking a step of faith. You know, if, you, uh, if you've ever you know, gotten on a, a ladder, you, know, you get on it and it's like, okay, first step held. Second step held. Or you could just say, I don't believe ladders work. And you know what? A lot of people say, I don't believe faith works in the You've never even got on the ladder, so how can you honestly evaluate anything? And God is saying, take a step of faith. It's not this leap of faith. It's not checking your brain at the door. It's saying, I'm going to take a step of faith and see if God is real and God shows up. So here's, here's what we read uh, about the step of faith that Philip took. It said, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Uh, Philip asked, how can, uh, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And so what we see here is he took a risk. This man was of a different social status than he was, and yet... He took the risk. Now, you have to understand, what did that mean in that culture? It wasn't just being ridiculed. Uh, the, he probably was traveling with armed guards, and often people would be killed because they approached someone, especially the guy who's in charge of all the money of one of the wealthiest countries uh, in the world. And so we see that. And then uh, the third principle of stepping into a God moment is to make it about Jesus. You know, I think that this is where, and I'm speaking primarily to you, those of you who've decided to be Christ followers. 
is this is where we can go a little bit crazy at times. There are so many good causes. I'm not like, you know, anti-good causes. There are great causes uh, that I believe in, you know, uh, clean water, all of that, tremendous things. But the church, we're to make it about Jesus. Otherwise, you get sidetracked. And I've seen it happen again and again. Talk about political movements, left or right. I've only seen 100% failure on either side when we try to sanctify that. You know, you think about Starbucks. People go crazy about this. I know a lot of, we have a lot of people who work in for Starbucks Corporation here. But this year I heard, you know, people, they're green Starbucks cups. Don't these people love God? You know, what is, does God have a color? I'm not sure, you know. And last year, it was, their, uh, you know, the directive, they're not going to write Merry Christmas on my Starbucks cups anymore. And like somehow, you know, I can't follow Jesus anymore. Uh, hey, you know what? You can, have, you can have Merry Christmas on your Starbucks cup every time. Just go place your order. When they ask what your name is, say, my name is Merry Christmas. And so, you know, you can have it on your Starbucks cup. The, the truth is, the stakes are really big. The stakes are life and death. Heaven and hell, I believe, are, are, are real places. Hope or fear. See, there's big, don't ever stray away from the biggest issues in life. And one of the things, you, you know, uh, Philip did is he got right to the point. And so here's, here's what we read in uh, Acts uh, 8.32. It says, this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So is that is that, that he says, hey, you may not behave the right way. You may not believe all the right things. But do you know who Jesus is? Like really know who he is. And, and when he heard it, it changed his life. Now, I told the story about uh, this guy who was the Ethiopian eunuch. Like I said, history fills in all the blanks for us as well outside the scripture. One of the things we know is that he went up to the temple to worship. Another thing we know from the culture in that day unequivocally is that as he would have went to the temple to worship, that he would have not been allowed in. Not even, there's a court of the Gentiles for people who are just sort of checking it out. By the way, that's always been God's plan, that if you're just checking it out, that's okay. But he wouldn't have ever been let in because they would have seen physically he was a eunuch and eunuchs were banned from even going in the outer doors. So imagine this. This is a guy who he had he'd wanted to follow God he had a want to in his heart, and he was rejected and turned away. And you know what breaks my heart is, I know some of you might say that's my story. In fact, I've, I've talked to, to people who, who were away. I talked to one, well, not girl, she's probably 35 or 40 right now. When she was 12 years old, she was told, you know what, you ask too many questions. You're ruining it for the other kids. And she just, for 20 years, said, hey, I'm not going to. I'm not going to even try anymore. Well, my imagine that as it, it said it started in reading in Isaiah there in chapter 55, but then he would have read beyond that as well. 
And as they would have read beyond that, here's what this man who had just been rejected would have heard. Isaiah 56.3, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose to please me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that'll endure forever. And so it's no surprise that, that he says, so, this is, so God has a plan for me. That I'm not, I'm not what everyone says I am. That there's hope for me. And we see what to do in a God moment, what he does is act on your opportunity. You know, you sort of, you, you can only act on an opportunity in the lifetime of the opportunity. And this is what we read uh, happens next in Acts 8 36 through 38 it says as they traveled on the road they came to some water and the eunuch said look here water who can stand in the way of of me being baptized and he gave orders to stop the chariot then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized him and and what he's what he's saying is okay now's my moment and I'm going to respond and for some of us maybe that's where you are today You've been playing it safe. You've been playing it safe spiritually. But you know that sort of make-believe God, I make up my own God. Every culture does that. But if there's a real creator God who made you, who loves you, who is is the God of history, then that demands my response to him. And see, the great thing that this man found out is that God made the first move. That when Jesus came, and he not only taught us how to live, he saw your failures in mine, your sin in mine, and instead of saying, I'm going to cast you away, he said, I'm going to make a way for you. And Jesus laid down his life. He paid the price for our failure, for our sin. I've talked about this before. I know some people get mad at me and it, it, you know, the, when they talk about it. Well, I don't believe in that. I'll just try to do more good than bad. Really? How does that help anyone you ever hurt? It will help no one ever. It'll never make them better. You cannot make it better for anyone. Do good the rest of your life. But what about that pain? You can never make that right. Some of you are like, you're a really encouraging pastor, Ben. <laughs> God can make that right. He can heal every hurt, he can right every wrong, and he can do it in you, and he can do it in me. If we will respond to him. Now that's what happens, and so uh, this man is baptized, and and we've talked about this, I talked about it last week, is one of the first steps when you believe uh, is to be baptized. Now, uh, we... Not, you may have been baptized as a child, but that's about your parents' faith. But all the baptisms in the Bible are when we've come to faith. And, and I've had people say, well, if you knew my life, uh, you would, you know, I got to get my life cleaned up before I say yes to Jesus. That's why you need Jesus. 
It's just take a step, whatever your first step is. Maybe uh, for you, it is, uh, it is being baptized. Maybe, maybe uh, you've, you've said yes to Jesus and you've never uh, done that before. Next weekend, we're going to have an opportunity. Don't say make an excuse or wait. All the baptisms in this Bible were immediate. You say, I'm going to do that. In fact, we make it easy for you. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to give anything. We even give you a, a T-shirt because there was that one unfortunate white T-shirt a woman wore once. So, the, uh, <laughs> so I've learned about you people. And the, uh, so we, we give you a... Fr- Here's the thing. We exist not to build a great big organization. I'm glad our church is growing like crazy. But it's for you to be able to take a step and draw closer to Jesus. Because it's when you do that, everything changes. And maybe for you, you say, hey, I I haven't even taken that step to say yes to Jesus. And that's a step that God would want you to take today. See, here's my final thought. When you're an outsider, uh, God welcomes me in. It doesn't matter uh, where you've been or what you've done, but if you'll come to him, And when I'm an insider, God sends me out. That you and I have a mission that we're to be on. And it's a mission of hope and a future. And when everyone else is freaking out around us, we can say, you know, I sort of know the end of the story. And even though this may be a difficult moment, I know that God is going to work in this moment if we'll let him. And it can change everything. In fact, there's a guy named Larry came to the church. He sort of, he grew up in a little Baptist church, but then, you know, fell away for a long time, decided not to have much to do with God. And he hit a pivotal moment in his life, ended up coming to the church, and more importantly, ended up allowing God to become big in his life. I want you to hear Larry's story. My name is Larry. My wife, my daughter, and I have been attending Timberlake off and on for about two and a half to three years. We don't live too far from here. We saw the church, and we thought that would be, that looks interesting. Let's try that church. My wife and I have been married since 1982. I had, I had met her soon out of college, and uh, we have one daughter. Her name is Courtney. She is a special needs child who we love dearly and is very much a part of my story. Grew up in a Baptist church as the years went by and I went off to college and then the years following that I definitely drifted away. Uh, Dating back to this past winter I started developing a physical problem. It was a um, abdominal pain in uh, June, June 22nd to be specific, I was diagnosed that I had a tumor in, my, in the left lobe of my liver and that turned out to be cancerous. I was very scared and had a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of tears. Number one, we all know what cancer means and can lead to and I don't want to I don't want to leave my wife I don't want to leave my daughter behind that was very frightening 
I knew that my walk with the Lord wasn't right, but I was going through the motions of coming to church every week, even though I realized that there's much more that I need to do beyond that. So at Timberlake, I went ahead and made it aware through one of the prayer connection cards that I had recently been diagnosed with the cancer and wanted to meet. And that ended up connecting me with Doug, the care pastor. And Doug, all of a sudden, has become one of my good friends, one of my new best friends. And I realized that I have to commit myself to the Lord. It was Doug who sat and knelt and prayed with me. And it was a very powerful moment. And um, when we were finished, I just felt this tremendous burden that had been lifted. Today, Jesus means everything to me. I want to be a follower and follow him and trust in him. This facilitating the um, closeness or the bond uh, with, with my wife and family. And I feel that going forward, that's only gonna get stronger. And I really believe that while we do have things to work on, I really believe that um, the best days of our marriage still lay ahead of us because of the change that I've made. Nobody knows other than God where this is gonna go. And, you know, I totally understand that and I can accept that. I have a comfort and peace about it now, no matter what direction this uh, event proceeds. I know that he's there and that I'm gonna be able to re rely on him. And the most key thing is that I gotta keep my trust in him. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that uh, as we hear Larry's story, God, as we read the scripture, that God, we could just get the sense that, that maybe you would have something for us, that th this would intersect our own stories. God, I pray for my friends who uh, have been living a life that's, when it comes to the things about you, has been spiritually risk averse. God, that this would be a time not for blind faith, but for a step of faith. And God, wherever you're leading us, God, that we would take that step towards you. And God, I pray in particular for my friends who uh, are here today, and, and maybe you'd say, you know, Ben, uh, I, 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 I believe in a God, but I don't know God like you talk about him. And, and I, and I want to have that kind of relationship with God that's real, and that really changes everything. Or maybe you say, you know, I'm just unsure where I'm at spiritually. Do you know that you can be sure in this moment? That you can be absolutely sure where you stand with God. See, the scripture says that no matter uh, what you have done in the past or where you've come from, that God in this moment, if you'll come to him, he will enter your life, he will forgive your sins, and he will begin that process of making you new in him. And if that's what you want to do, I encourage you to pray with me. I'm going to pray out loud. You pray silently. I'm not going to uh, have you say anything really, uh, but you just say this to God. You say, God, I, I thank you 
that you have made a way that you care about me enough in the sea of seven billion people that you can see me and that God you love me and God I, I, I just want to step into that and I want that to be the definer of my life and God I know uh, I haven't always done things right that I failed that I've sinned and I ask you would forgive me that you would what I can't make right that you would make right and God I ask you to be the leader and the the Lord of my life. And God, I want to follow you as best as I know how with the strength I have that you would be my, my God, my, the real God in my life. And the scripture says when we invite him into our life that our spiritual reality and, and really our, all reality has changed. That we don't need to lead with fear but with faith. And that God will walk with us in this life and in the next. The scripture says as we make that decision uh, that it's not only a personal uh, decision, but it's not really meant to be a private one. That we're going to go public with our faith. And here's how we do this at Timberlake. I'm not going to have you come forward or raise your hand or anything like that. But with everyone's eyes closed and head bowed, even up on stage, I want to give you a sense of privacy in a public place. But also the opportunity to take that step. That if you say, Ben, I prayed that prayer with you to invite Jesus into my life today would you simply uh, look up at me I'm going to look at my right and your left and that you just let your eyes meet mine as an indication of the step of faith that you took today that's great awesome 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 in the center section too that that would just be your indication awesome way to go way to go way to go and up in the balcony say that's what I'm doing today and over on my, my left and your right. God, I just thank you. I, I thank you for so many of my friends in the parent viewing room too. I see you as well. God, I just thank you for so many of my friends who are taking that step of faith. And God, uh, I know that, that you see beyond this moment. You see in the moments that you're going to lead them to. And God, as, as, they, as they trust you, as they take this step of faith, that this will be one of those pivotal moments. And God, I pray that they will just sense your presence not only in this place, but as they leave today as well. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.